Good morning. Everybody warm enough? Just scoot closer together. We were praying earlier, and I think it was Ryan that prayed, thinking about the song, I Surrender. Um, it's kind of a foreign concept to us, the idea of that somehow surrendering leads to victory. That's not usually how it works. Usually you have to win, and the way you win is by winning, not by surrendering. But that's because in our minds, we can't conceive of an opponent, the one we're fighting against, actually being committed to our ultimate good and wanting to give us everything good if we'll just quit fighting. That's exactly the situation. God gives everything good to those who will quit fighting him and acknowledge his lordship and his goodness and receive from him all that we need. Let's pray as we uh, prepare to get into God's Word this morning. Our Heavenly Father, you have told us in your Word that while we were your enemies, Christ died for us. Lord, you have every reason to be angry with us eternally for the way we have spurned your wisdom and your power and your goodness and have chosen to find fulfillment in other things and choosing to want to lead and be God of our own lives. You have every right to be angry with us and yet you're gracious and merciful and your heart moved you to, to rescue us and to save us in Christ. Lord, help us grasp that today. Help us grasp today how much you are for us. Help us stop seeking our joy and our fulfillment in ways that are contrary to you, things that are other than you. Lord, will you open up our hearts and minds to your truth this morning as we look at it together. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Acts chapter 1, verse 14, speaking of the uh, earliest followers of Jesus who were gathered together, it says, they all joined together constantly in prayer. Acts 2, 42 They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Ephesians 6, 18. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints, meaning believers in Jesus. 1 Thessalonians 5.17, pray without ceasing. And 1 Peter 4.7, the end of all things is near, therefore be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray. So as you read through the Bible, it's pretty obvious that prayer is important. Duh. 
Prayer is important to believers in Jesus Christ. And everywhere you look, you see this consistent emphasis on the need for frequent, heartfelt dependence on God in prayer. And as we continue in this series we're in, looking at the connections between God's glory and our joy, our happiness, one of the biggest points of connection between God's glory and our joy is prayer. Look at the promise Jesus gave in John 14, verse 13. He said, And I will do whatever you ask in my name. That's prayer. I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. So prayer is a way to bring glory to God. But prayer is also important not only to bring glory to God, but to bring joy to us. Just before he went to the cross, Jesus said to his disciples in John 16, 24, until now you have not asked for anything in my name. There's prayer again. Asking in Jesus' name. Ask and you will receive and your joy will be so-so. Moderate. Complete, he says. Why does prayer bring us joy? Well, there's a lot of reasons, but one of the main ones is that prayer is how we accomplish the mission Jesus has given us. Look what he said in John 15, 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that. Okay, now catch, catch the logic of this verse. I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give to you. Prayer is for the purpose of bearing fruit. It's how God enables us to bear fruit, to do good, in other words, to accomplish his will. <laughs> and it's this fruitfulness in doing his will and fulfilling his mission. That's what leads us to joy. Last time we were together, the last message, we saw that we have to personally engage in Christ's mission of making disciples of all nations. We have to personally engage. That's vital for deep and lasting joy. That's what life's about, ultimately. Okay, well, prayer is vital to that personally engaging in Christ's mission. It's how we do it. It's how we get it done. So in prayer, see how this works. Prayer is that which brings glory to God, and prayer is that which brings joy to us. God's glory and our joy come together in prayer. It's an enormous privilege. It's an enormous responsibility. Ah, and yet, and yet, many of God's people struggle with prayer. If you're a follower of Jesus today, if you have come to that place in your life of saying yes to him, embracing his purpose, embracing his gift of salvation and forgiveness, it doesn't mean you'll never struggle with prayer. In fact, you probably do. It's very common. We, we struggle, many of us, to, to make it the priority that Scripture talks about. Ought to be a big priority. We struggle with that. 
we struggle with being consistent. Might make a New Year's resolution. Maybe you did. I'm going to pray more. Well, how you doing with that? It's hard to be consistent. It's hard even when you pray. Have you, have you done this? You, 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 I'm going to take some time and I'm going to pray. And five minutes into it, your mind is thinking about a TV show or something you got to do. Or It's hard to focus. And even when we do well in prayer, we need encouragement to keep at it. And I know that's true, not just from experience, but because of something Jesus said in Luke chapter 18. We're going to be in Luke 18. We're going to be looking at something Jesus said about prayer. Told a story there we're going to look at. But this is what it says before Jesus tells the story. It says, Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. Which means Jesus knew that his followers would be tempted at times to give up, to quit praying. I don't know about you, that encourages me. To know that I'm not the only one who has struggled with wanting to pray. I mean, if Jesus thought it was important to tell us to keep praying and to not give up, obviously he knew that's the very thing we'd be tempted to do. I love that. I love that Jesus understands what we struggle with. But why would that happen? Why would we struggle? Why would a Christian, okay, if you have come to that place of saying yes to Jesus Christ, why would somebody who has experienced the free gift of God's forgiveness, who has been made a part of God's family, who has been indwelt by the very Spirit of God, someone who now has a relationship with God, who has unlimited access to God, to go to Him anytime, anywhere, to pour out our hearts to Him, to pray for the accomplishing of His purposes so that we can experience eternal satisfaction, joy. Why would we ever be tempted not to pray? Or possibly never to get serious about prayer in the first place. Why? Well, one very real possibility is that we might not feel the need to pray. We live in a culture that dulls our spiritual senses. In some ways, I picture interacting with our culture is kind of like taking a piece of sandpaper to a sharp knife. Just interacting with the culture and the entertainment and, and all the, the triviality, and, the, and it just it makes us dull to spiritual realities. We, we may not perceive the spiritual battle that is raging around us. We just don't see it. We don't feel it. We might get so focused on less important things like buying and selling and eating and drinking and working and playing. We might get so preoccupied with these lesser things that we overlook the big things that are the things that drive us to prayer like rescuing people from the kingdom of darkness, like 
getting the gospel to all the nations, like impacting the people in our neighborhoods with the love and the truth of Jesus, these big things. There's nothing wrong with buying and selling. There's nothing wrong with eating and drinking. There's nothing wrong with working and playing. Those are all good things. But we can get preoccupied with those things. Those things become everything to us. And, and then we end up not sensing how desperately we need God. Because prayer, prayer is telling God, I need you. I need you, God. I need. It's, it's asking him for help, for rescue, for daily bread, for strength, for wisdom, for courage, for the spread of the gospel, for the salvation of lost people, for healing, for his kingdom to come, his will to be done. Prayer is calling on God to do for us what we could never do for ourselves. Prayer is calling on God to do in us what we could never do in ourselves. Prayer is calling on God to do through us what we could never do by ourselves. Which means that if we don't feel that need for God to do things for us and in us and through us, we probably won't pray. That's just how we are. We don't feel the need. But there's another reason. We might, not, we might be tempted not to pray. And that's that we don't expect an answer. We might give up praying because we just doubt God's going to answer us. And that's the situation Jesus anticipates here in Luke chapter 18. If you go and you read the context of Luke 18, and I'd encourage you to do that, Jesus is talking all about his second coming to this world. So his first coming, he came, he was born as a baby, became a man, taught and healed and revealed who God is really to us. And then the main thing he came for, he went to the cross and he died that excruciating death to take upon himself the penalty for our sin that we could be forgiven. Then he rose from the dead to defeat death. And then he gave us our mission, make disciples of all nations. And I'll be with you always till the end of the age. And then the end of the age is when he comes. And time's up. Time's up, world. And he is going to make right every wrong. And he's going to usher in perfect justice and peace and joy. And Jesus knows that if we long for that, if we want that, don't you just some days, you just want that so bad, you want evil to end, you want death to end, you want peace and joy to come in. If we long for that, and if we pray for that, and if we give our lives to the advancement of His kingdom, well, we might get discouraged because it just seems to be taking so long. If we pray and pray and pray and God doesn't seem to be answering and evil seems to be winning, we might just say, 
What's the point? Why should I pray? And we're tempted to give up. And that is exactly what Jesus says here. Don't do it. Don't do. Don't quit. Don't lose heart. Always pray and never give up. Always pray and never give up. Always pray, never give up. That's why he told the story. So let's pick it up at verse 2. Let's see what the story has to teach us. He said, in a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God, that means to respect, to honor, to take God seriously, neither feared God nor cared about men, people. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him, kept coming to him, with the plea, grant me justice against my adversary. So here's somebody who apparently is trying to take advantage of this widow, maybe steal her property or in some way rip her off. Grant me justice against my adversary. Well, the judge doesn't want to. He doesn't care. For some time he refused. But remember, she kept coming. Finally, he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care about men, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually wear me out with her coming. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, remember that's the context, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? So Jesus wants us to persist in prayer with the confidence that God is going to answer. Always pray and never give up. Always pray and never give up. How can we do that? How can we not lose heart? How can we not quit praying when the answers don't come the way we want them to or as quickly as we want them to? And how do we keep other things from squeezing prayer out of our lives? Well, we have to be convinced. We have to be convinced in our hearts of of two things that come out of this story. First, we have to be convinced that God has the heart to answer us. God is not reluctant to answer. He's not irritated. He's not indifferent. He wants to answer. He delights to answer. He is eager to answer the prayers of his people. You've got to be convinced of that in order to always pray and not give up. You've got to believe that God really wants you to pray. And that he has a heart to listen to you, and he has a heart to do the thing you're asking for. Or at least answer you in a way that will be good for you. you got to believe that. Now, notice how the point is made in the story. It's, it's made in a very interesting way. The widow comes to the judge as she's pleading for help. And you've got to understand, a widow in this time is the epitome of helplessness. The, the epitome of destitution. 
The idea is she has no one to take care of her. And in those days, a woman had a very difficult time taking care of herself. So she's got nobody to help her. Somebody's trying to rip her off. So she comes to the judge and she pleads for help. Who does the widow represent? She represents us. Helplessness. Her only source of help is the judge, just as our only source of help is God. And remember, the context here is of God's people fulfilling the mission, waiting for him to return. Our only source of help is God. Okay, so then this widow, the judge is not doing what she wants. He's not doing his job. So she camps on his doorstep until he finally gives her what she needs just to get her off his back. And we are being called to the same kind of persistence in prayer that this widow showed. The same kind of persistence that she showed we're to show in pleading with God. Now, here's the question. Why? Is it because God's like the judge? God needs to be pestered until he finally gives us what we want because he's sick and tired of us. And he wants to get us off his back. Is that the point? No, that is not the point. Actually, the whole point, you've got to get this. The reason this story works is because God is totally unlike the judge. And if an unjust judge will meet a need in response to persistence, how much more is God willing to meet a need in response to persistence? Now, let me show you how that's emphasized here. Twice in this story, we're told that this judge had no fear of God, and the fact that he had no fear of God is a reason for why he was unwilling to help her. Now, think about that. If not fearing God would prevent him from helping her, then fearing God would incline him to help her. If this judge would take God seriously, if this judge would do what God wanted, then he would help. So that means God's not like the judge. But God has a heart that desires to help those who cry out to him. So if a judge has, who has no fear of God can be swayed by persistence, how much more certain can we be that God will be responsive to our persistence? To those who trust Him and call on Him day and night. Jesus actually makes the same point a few chapters earlier. He tells His disciples to keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. In other words, always pray and never give up. And this is the reason He gives in Luke 11 beginning of verse 11, he says, which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? I'm assuming that's to eat. Your kid wants a fish to eat, you're going to give him a snake. Or if he asks for an egg, we'll give him a scorpion. (laughs) I mean, it's just absurd, right? Your kid asks for a hamster, 
you get him a viper. <laughs> he wants a cuddly little animal to play with. You get him a wolverine. I don't know. It's And then he says, if you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask it? Look what he's saying. God is more inclined than the best father is to do what is good for his children and meet their needs. And this is powerful. You think of the best dad you know. Maybe it's your father, maybe it's a friend, somebody. And you just you think of what it means to be a good father, to be responsive to your family's needs. And to always be willing to do whatever is necessary. And Jesus is saying, God's better than that. God's better than that. God is more inclined to help his children than the best father is to help his children. We have to be convinced of that to keep on praying. You've got to be convinced that God has the heart to answer. But then the other thing we've got to be convinced of is that we have the right to ask. We have to be convinced that God's got the heart to answer and that we have the right to ask. Jesus said about this unjust judge, not only did he not fear God, he didn't care about men. He didn't care about people. In other words, he's unconcerned about people and their problems. Well, that's great in a judge. The assumption here is that if he cared about this widow, if he actually cared about her, in other words, if if she were his mother or she were his sister or somebody, if if he cared about her, he would help her. Okay, so here's the question. Does God care about us? Well, Jesus gives us the answer in verse 7. Will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones? Wow. Those who belong to Jesus are not strangers to God. He's chosen them. He's chosen them. He has set his favor on them. As Paul says in Romans 8, if God is for us, who can be against us? Who shall bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? If if you belong to Jesus Christ by faith, then God, hear it, God is for you. Whatever's going on in your life, Whatever challenges you're facing, God is for you. He's for you. He has adopted you to bear His name, to share in His glory. He is for you with all His might. He is determined to do you good, and He will do you good. So if an unjust judge can be moved by persistence to help somebody he doesn't care about at all, how much more? How much more will God help his own chosen ones who cry out to him day and night?
And you might ask, well, if God loves us so much, and God knows everything we need before we ask, why does he want us to pray and pray persistently? Why doesn't he just give us what we need? Why do we need to pray? Well, one answer to that is God does that a lot. Because we don't remember to ask for everything we need. We probably don't even know everything we need. So we don't ask nearly as much as we might think we ask. And God still meets our needs. But, okay, there are other things that we ask God for and we ask God for, and he wants us to do that. He wants us to pray, and he promises to respond to our prayers. Why? If he loves us, he knows what we need, why doesn't he just do it? It's a great question. Here's a great answer from George MacDonald. What if God knows prayer is the thing we need most? What if the main object in God's idea of prayer be the supplying of our great, our endless need, the need of himself? What if the good of all our smaller and lower needs lies in this, that they help drive us to God? Communion with God is the one need of the soul beyond all other needs. Prayer is the beginning of that communion. You understand what he's saying? Our greatest need is what? It's a genuine, meaningful relationship with God himself. I mean, earlier in this series, we talked about how God describes himself as the spring of living water. He's the one who alone can satisfy our deepest thirst. What do we need? We need relationship with him. We need to come to him and drink. Well, prayer is one of the main ways we experience that. And live that out. A few weeks ago, we looked at the conversation that Jesus had with a Samaritan woman. Maybe you know that story. She's a woman who was looking for love in all the wrong places. She was trying to satisfy that deep thirst she had, that we all have, for unconditional love for meaning, for greatness. She was trying to satisfy that thirst in a husband, in a guy. Well, it wasn't working. And we know that because she'd had five husbands. And the guy that she's now living with doesn't love her enough to marry her. But Jesus loved her enough to point her to the true source of soul satisfaction, namely himself. And so he asks a question to get the conversation going. He, he asks her for a drink of water. And she, she's kind of mouthy, and she wonders why he's even talking to her. And then he says this in John 4.10. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him. He would have given you living water. The more we know Jesus, the more we will ask him. Not asking is a symptom we don't know him very well. 
the more we know him, the more we'll ask. Knowing Jesus and asking go together. And that's a major reason why he asks us to pray. See, he's not here physically for us to see with our eyes. But through prayer, we can speak to him. We can ask him just as if he were here physically because he is here. He is here in the person of his spirit. And he has the heart to answer. And he has given us the right to ask. In fact, we must ask. Jesus ends his story with some interesting and very serious words. Look how he ends the story. However, when the Son of Man comes, when he returns, will he find faith on the earth? Now, that's very interesting. He's just been telling a story to teach us about prayer. And he gets to the end of it and says, when I return, will I find faith on the earth? Well, what does faith have to do with prayer? It has everything to do with it. It has everything to do with it. Prayer is an expression of faith. It's like what I said. The more we know him, the more we'll ask. The more we trust him, the more we'll ask. And according to Jesus, the evidence that we have faith, one of the evidences that we have faith, that we are one of God's chosen ones, is that we always pray and never give up. Always pray and never give up. You're going to want to give up sometime. You're going to feel like giving up sometime. Don't. Don't give up. Don't quit until Jesus returns. Now, I would guess that most of you agree with me that prayer is important. Yeah, prayer is important for the glory of God. Prayer is important for our joy. You get it. You agree. But I would also guess that many of you are dissatisfied with your own personal experience of prayer. You feel guilty about it, or you feel frustrated about it, or something. Well, I want to close with just some practical encouragement for you. And I'm going to quote from John Piper's book, Desiring God. So I think he's right on. He says, Unless I'm badly mistaken, one of the main reasons so many of God's children do not have a significant life of prayer is not so much that we don't want to, but that we don't plan to. I just want to insert right here, I've seen this over and over and over again in all aspects of, of living as a believer in Jesus. I've seen it in my life, I've seen it in other people's lives. It's not that we don't want to, it's that we just don't get intentional about it. We don't plan for it. And Piper says, it's, it's as if you want to go on a, a long vacation. You don't just get up one summer morning and say, hey, let's go today. You won't have anything ready. You won't know where to go. You, nothing's been planned. But that's how many of us treat prayer. We get up day after day and realize that significant times of prayer should be a part of our life, but nothing's ever ready. We don't know where to go. Nothing's been planned. No time, no place, no procedure. And we all know, what's the opposite of planning? It's not deep, spontaneous experiences of prayer. The opposite of planning is the rut. If you want renewal in your life of prayer, you must plan to see it. 
Therefore, my simple exhortation is this. Take the time this very day to rethink priorities and how prayer fits in. Make some new resolve. Try some new venture with God. Set a time, set a place. Don't be tyrannized by the press of busy days. We all need mid-course corrections. Make today a day of turning to prayer for the glory of God and for the fullness of joy. I think that's so true. And I just encourage you, make a plan. Make a plan. And you don't have to do the New Year's resolution thing. Somehow that always seems to fail. But make a plan. And if that plan doesn't work, make another plan. And if that plan doesn't work, make another plan. But be intentional. And I'll tell you a couple of things that I think are the most helpful in being intentional about praying. Well, several things. First, set a time and a place. Use lists. Don't just sit down and say, well, I'm going to pray forever pops into my mind. That's a surefire recipe for wandering, aimless praying. Know who and when and what you're going to pray for. List. That's one of the reasons I encouraged last time we were together that Operation World book, which you can get through Amazon.com, by the way. I forgot to mention that last time, but you can get it online. I don't know that you can find it in a bookstore, but I went online. Operation World, How to Pray for the Nations, for God's work of making disciples around the world. That is so helpful to have lists. Use the lists that are passed out second hour. Make up your own. Write down everybody who's important in your life, that needs prayer in your life, and pray. On this day, pray for these people. On this day, pray for that. Plan. Make lists. And then one of the things that, for me, is the most helpful thing in my life is pray with someone else. Your spouse, maybe a coworker, your kids, somebody, get in a group. I am much more likely to pray when I know Someone else is counting on me, and we have an agreement to pray together. And I'm, I'm less likely to have my mind wander like a lost puppy in the woods when we take turns. Praying with others is huge, but you've got to plan for it. Otherwise, the time to pray will come, and just like Piper says about vacation, you won't be ready to go. You say, well, that doesn't sound very spiritual. I think I just should pray spontaneously. Good luck. Maybe you're just much more deeply spiritual than I am. I hope so. But uh, I have found that for me, just wishing and wanting and hoping it'll just be grand and glorious doesn't accomplish much. God has a heart to answer. He has given us the right to ask. Be convinced of that so that you can always pray and never give up. Always pray and never give up. Always pray and never, ever, ever give up. Let's pray.
Father, it's so staggering to know that you want us to pray and you are eager for our prayers. You've told us, come boldly before your throne of grace that we might receive help in time of need. Lord, today is a time of need for every one of us. We need so much. We need you to direct us in the right paths. We, we need you to help us remember what's important. We need your help to engage in the purpose you've given us, to stay focused. We need you to provide our daily bread. Lord, we live in an affluent culture. We just assume when we go to the grocery store, there's going to be food there. And that's not a safe assumption. God, you're the one ultimately who provides So, Lord, stir us up. Help us long to know you better, to commune with you, to fellowship with you, to relate to you, to pour out our hearts to you. And God, help us be successful in planning to do this. Help us help each other do this. So that, Father, somehow in our lives you will be glorified and we will drink at the fountain of living water, and be satisfied. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.